The following is a presentation made at the 2022 Transcending the Israel Lobby at Home and Abroad Conference held on March 4 at the National Press Club. Gideon Levy's keynote will focus on the nature of democracy and human rights in Israel. Gideon Levy is a columnist for the Israeli Daily Haaretz, which he joined in 1982. He spent four years as the newspaper's deputy editor and is currently a member of its editorial board. He is widely considered the dean of Israeli journalism, as well as the most hated man in Israel. As Levy has written, treating the Palestinians as victims and the crimes perpetrated against them as crimes, it's considered treasonous. I have watched film clips of Levy's visits to family funeral tents of Palestinians killed by Israeli sharpshooters. His empathy and humanity is palpable. Levy's articles have covered the Israeli occupation in the West Bank and Gaza, as well as political editorials for the newspaper. His columns about politics, money, how Israel's military occupation is changing Israeli society, and about U.S.-Israel relations are widely read and discussed around the world. We at the Washington Report find it challenging to select which ones to reprint in our magazine and the other voices insert. In the interest of time, I'm neglecting to read all the awards he has received, and um, his book, The Punishment of Gaza, was published in 2010. Thank you for traveling so far once again to speak at our conference. Thank you so much. I think after such an introduction, the best thing I can do is shut up. (laughs) From here, I can only get lower. I'm really, you mentioned the the distance we made, Catherine and I, to get here. But as far as it is, it is also so exciting to be back here and to see the devotion and the good spirit and the readiness to continue the struggle, which is rather frustrating, we must say, which is rather long, and it's not in its best point right now. Uh, But maybe there is some hope, and I'll try to talk about it today. We can't uh, start this uh, conversation without referring to what's going on in uh, Ukraine. Every war has its comic relief. And even this war had its comic relief. It was, I think, on the second day of the war when the foreign minister of Israel, Yair Lapid, had condemned the violation of the international order. You must admit that this guy has some kind of sense of humor. Because otherwise, what did he mean exactly by violation the international order? Can an Israeli minister speak or condemn, even condemn, any kind of violation of the international order? What about the tons of butter on your head? But it passed in Israel as a very brave declaration 
And again, we are in this phase in which Israelis don't see themselves. I think maybe the Israeli society is the society with the highest rate of denial, self-denial. But the war in Ukraine exposed some sides, some aspects of Israel, which all of a sudden, because it is such a dramatic phenomena, you saw it naked. And above all, we saw the Israeli nationalism and, may I say, racism in the way that Israel had dealt this war. The first stage was, and there is a difference between the official Israel and the public opinion, official Israel kept silent for many days. Because, you know, we want to fly over Syria and bomb Syria, and we need the Russians. And we can't bother them. Israel, that was based, one of the main principal moral accusations of Israel toward the world was always, why did you keep silent? Israel made a fortune by manipulating guilt feelings of the world because he kept silent. What do you think that in other times, in the 30s, in the 40s, there were not other countries who had some kind of interests which forced them or made them keep silent? What do you think that countries who fought against or stood against didn't pay a price? It's only about interests. Now, Israelis saw it, and I think the citizens in this case, and only in this case, were more sensitive than the government because they realized, what a shame. How can we keep silent? And then came the huge rescue operation of Israel, which exposed another aspect of Israel, the racist one. There is no country in the world that did so much. I'm almost sure. I didn't check it, but I'm almost sure. No country in the world did so much to rescue its own citizens from Ukraine. Foreign ministry, operations, buses, but only the Israelis. And then there was also an operation, it's still going on, to rescue Jews. But in the same time, at least until this very moment, things are changing now, but until this very moment, there is no state that closes its gates to all the others like Israel. And here you have it again. How can Israel close its gates? Now they ask for 10,000 shekels, which is around $3,000, deposit from each refugee to pay cash in the airport and he has to commit himself to live within a month. This is a state that was built on accusation, on blaming the world for being silent in the 30s, for not doing enough, for closing its gates, praising Sweden and Denmark and condemning all the others who didn't let Anyone in? My father, who left 
the Sudetendeutschland, the, the, how you call it in, in English, Katrin, uh, Sudeten, the Sudets, Sudets? He was half a year in a refugee boat in the sea. Couldn't get to Palestine. The Brits didn't let them in. There were 600 people on a boat, on a very small boat. And finally, they were taken to a detention center in Beirut. And only after half a year, they made it to Palestine. How can we, the sons, the grandsons of those people, close our gates? But this is not the end of the story. How will the Israelis now see the Ukrainian resistance? They see all those Molotov bottles being prepared and they salute to them. Wow, what a brave people. Look at them standing in front of tanks and throwing those Molotov bottles. In the very same day, Youngsters are shot dead, not less than shot dead for throwing a Molotov bottle or even holding a Molotov bottle. How can they overbridge this contradiction? You are praising the Ukrainians for their moral and courageous position and behavior. And the very, 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 very same, no difference, very, very same method morality, cause to fight against an occupier for your freedom, for your human rights, for implementing international law. The very same one is being shot by you and nobody cares and everyone justifies. I guess 90% of the Israelis would say that anyone who throws a Molotov bottle at a tank or at a Military vehicle should be shot dead. And nobody is there to, to try to show the contradiction, to try to show the denial. And it all brings us, unfortunately, and it's not easy for me to say so, but it all brings us again and again to the same point. And the point is the belief in Jewish supremacy. This is the core of Zionism. This is the core of the Jewish belief. Would you deny it or would you admit it? This feeling of chosen people is still very deep-rooted in Israel. And the consequence is that Everything which refers to any other country in the world does not refer to Israel, that we are a special case, that the international law should be implemented everywhere, but we are a different case, that a Jewish, that a Molotov bottle against a Jewish soldier is not like a Molotov bottle against a Ukraine, against a Russian soldier. Because we are different, because we are chosen, because of this damned Jewish supremacy. And when people speak about this current government that Hanana Shrawi spoke in the morning, that everyone is so nervous about keeping this government, which is combined by so many parties and 
such a big ideological gap between them and we just want to keep them together, I claim that the differences are minor and basically almost all Israeli parties believe in this Jewish supremacy, believe in Zionism, and the consequences are, I can't even describe how destructive they are when you live in this way of thinking, when everything gets back to this again and again. Jewish life matters more. There is nothing as cheap as Palestinians' life. You know, in the last two days, three days, almost every day, there was a young Palestinian killed for nothing, but really for nothing. Not that there was some kind of threat, but really for nothing, not even not a Molotov bottle, obviously. Day after day, and nobody cares. So on one hand, the war in Ukraine exposed, in my view, the real nature of Israel, the real nature of us Israelis. It's not only the state, it's each of us. Because we all believe in it, even if we don't admit it. We, we get it with the milk of our mothers. We are different. We are better. They are worse. They are not human beings like us. They were born to kill. They want to kill us. While the very same arguments serve the Russia propaganda and the Israeli propaganda. They deny a Ukrainian people. Israel denies a Palestinian people, or at least part of the Israelis deny a Palestinian people. They are just Bedouins who came from the desert. Who are they at all? Just 500 years here. We are obviously 2,000 years. And then they claim that it's our heritage there in Kiev and in Hebron. Same argument. And both claim that heritage, even if it exists, means sovereignty. I always ask my fellow Israelis, why doesn't Israel uh, claim for sovereignty in Uman, in Ukraine? Because there is there a grave of a very famous Jewish rabbi that every year tens of thousands of Israelis go to pray there but really tens of thousands every year. I think Oman should belong to Israel. And if you are laughing, I'm not sure the Israelis are laughing, because one day we will ask also for, 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 for Oman to be under Israeli sovereignty, because it's part of our heritage. And so is Jerusalem, and so is Hebron, and so is every stone in this country named Israel. So, on one hand, it exposed this nature of Israel. But I think the war in Ukraine might be, and I'm very careful here, might be also a source of hope exactly for what you are fighting for. Because it might be that the Israel silence, the fact that Israel did not stand together with the West, or at least in the beginning, did not stand together with the West, it might have a positive outcome. And you hear the first voices even in this country. I just heard yesterday the interview of uh, Amanpour, Christian Amanpour, who is the former Minister of Defense, Cohen, 
And it was very clear, mainly what, what Christian said, but only also by, by, the, by his answer. This is an ally? Here we spend all this money? Here we support automatically every resolution in the United Nations? We put a veto just to defend Israel automatically and blindly? And then when we need their voice once, they turn their back to us? It might be something that will get some kind of momentum, that people in this country will start to ask themselves, what's going on here? It didn't happen until now, but it might lead to. At the same time also, maybe the world will also wake up and realize that there is no difference between the Russian occupation of Ukraine and the, Russian and the Israeli occupation of Palestine. There is one difference in terms of time. This is a, an occupation of 10 days now, one week. And this is an occupation of 50 years, or if you want 70 years, or if you want 100 years. But both are occupations. And maybe this will be a wake-up call for the world. Maybe also this hypocrisy and double standards that Israel adopted will somehow also be exposed about the world who allows one occupation and condemns another one, who fights against one occupation. It was mentioned before me that the, the International Criminal Court is already on the road to investigate crimes of war in Ukraine after one week. How much are we waiting for this court to wake up and to investigate the, 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 the so much simple and obvious crimes of war, daily crimes of war which are taking place on a, on a very routine reality for, 50, for over 50 years. So maybe the world will also say, no, no, we have another occupation to deal with. It's not only the Russian occupation. And maybe this combination of Israel betraying in the way the West, together with the realization that occupation is wrong, here and there. Occupation is against the international law, here and there. Occupation cannot last, here and there. Maybe this analogy, analogy, because Katrin always uh, uh, criticized me that I don't leave any room for hope. So I'm trying so hard to find always some kind of source of hope. Don't catch me by word because maybe it's again my naivety and the world will go back to the old order and Israel will continue to be the darling of the West and the West will finance any crimes of war being conducted by Israel and Israel will continue to feel so good about itself. But there is a chance that not. Now, the real turning point should be for us the moment that each of us realized that the occupation is not a temporary phenomena. Some of us saw it in 67, some of us even saw it in 48. 
Some of us saw it later on, but none of us, I believe, can claim today, after over 50 years of occupation, the 67 occupation, nobody can seriously claim that the occupation is a temporary phenomena. I mean, how temporary, how long can a temporary occupation last? And I think that most of the people, if not all of them, understand that the occupation is there to stay. And Israel had never the slightest intention to put an end to it. And all the efforts were only to mislead the West and to maintain the occupation. All this longest peace process in history, which never led to anywhere and was never aimed to lead to anywhere. All those efforts were only in order to mislead you and enable the occupation to grow, including Oslo, which I was one of the greatest fans of Oslo. And I really believe that we are opening a new chapter. I will never forget leaving Gaza once after Oslo was signed and Arafat arrived in Gaza in a very... Uh, Childish way, I stood there in the Ares checkpoint and I turned my back to Israel and I waved goodbye to Gaza and I was sure that I will never go to Gaza again, not as a journalist who covers the occupation. I will go there because I love this place, I love the people, but I will not go anymore as a journalist who covers the occupation. Most of you were not born then. And ever since then, I can't go to Gaza, but for very different reasons, because Gaza is under siege. So even Oslo was a trap. We can argue if it was a planned trap or, or, or just came out as a trap, but it was a trap. And all the other efforts to put an end to the occupation never aimed really to bring an end to the occupation, because there was never a government in Israel, never ever, including Nobel Prize, Peace Nobel Prize winners, none of them really meant to put an end to the occupation. They meant to make the occupation easier, more comfortable, and above all, more viable. And we all believed in it, and we all fall into this trap. But now it's over. This masquerade, I believe, is over. Nobody can claim it is temporary. There are no signs whatsoever that Israel is planning to put an end to the occupation. On the contrary, the end of occupation today is much farer than 10 or 20 years ago. At least it seems much farer than 10 or 20 years ago. And again, as a, as a gesture to Katrin, I must say here another source of hope that many things in history were totally unexpected. So maybe we don't see what's coming soon, and maybe there is great hope that the occupation is just about to end, like we didn't see the fall of the German Wall, and we didn't see, and nobody saw the fall of Soviet Russia, and nobody saw the end of the apartheid system in South Africa. But if you, if you look at it in a, in a logical way, in a reasonable way, 
you must realize that there are no signs that the occupation is about to end. Ever. This is a turning point. Because the moment we realize that the occupation is part of Israel, we must realize the consequences. And the consequences are that Israel is an apartheid state. You cannot define it any other way but this. Because as long as the occupation was temporary, Israel could claim we are democracy, the Israeli Arabs, as we call them, uh, who are Israeli citizens, can vote for the parliament and can be doctors and everything. This is not apartheid. And we have this dark backyard where things are not so nice, but it's just until we'll find a solution. Once you claimed, you admitted that you have no intention, you admitted that the occupied territories are part of Israel. And we don't have to talk anymore about the one-state solution or the one-state, because the one-state exists now for 50, over 50 years. It's one state with many regimes, with two sets of laws, regulations, and regimes to Jews and to Palestinians. How else can you call it if not apartheid? I mean, it really it looks like apartheid, it talks like apartheid, it moves like apartheid. How else can you define a system in which, at least in part of the territory, there is a very clear separation, legal, in budgets, in rights, in everything? When you go to the territories, as I do now for over 30 years every week. Unfortunately, not to Gaza, because we Israelis are not allowed to go to Gaza by our government, and no Israeli uh, journalist uh, cares about not going to Gaza. It's much more heroic to go to Ukraine, to Kiev, and to be in Facebook or in Instagram with photos from uh, Lvov, or Lviv, as it's called now. Gaza is not interesting. But if you go to the occupied territories, you see it in a very physical way. You see one village next to the other. One village has all the resources, unlimited quantity of water, electricity, everything, and the village next by has even no electricity or no water in the years 2022. Whole villages without electricity and water. And the village next to them, the settlement which was built on their own private land, has everything. Please tell me, how can you call it if not apartheid? How can you call it the two neighbor villages? One village can participate in the political game and vote and be elected, and their neighbors cannot vote and cannot be elected. How can you call it if not apartheid? Or even, how can you call the only people in the world who is not a citizen of any state in the world? Do you know other people in the world who have no citizenship of no country? Like the Palestinians, part of the Palestinians in the occupied territories, part of them, some small part has Jordanian passports, the other don't have any citizenship. This is not temporary. 
and this is apartheid, and this can not go on by hoping that one day it will change, because it will not change. And why will it not change? Because Israelis couldn't care less about it, because the world couldn't care less about it, because the world supports it, and Israel lives in peace with it. Not only lives in peace. I guess some of you know Israelis and met Israelis. When an Israeli say that the Israeli army is the most moral army in the world, they truly believe in it. Try to tell an Israeli that maybe the IDF is the second moral army in the world. Try. You are an anti-Semite. How dare you? How dare you? We built this uh, field hospital in Nepal when there were floods there. What other army is so human? The belief that we are so good and the army is so moral is very deep-rooted. When you believe in it, there is no problem with the occupation. And the Israeli society, as I said, which protects itself by denial and by two or three more mechanisms which enable us to feel so good about ourselves and not be troubled at all, at all, at all from the occupation. One is the chosen people, because if we are the chosen people, so there's no problem. We have the moral right to do whatever we want. We are the chosen people. The second one is, obviously, the Holocaust. As the late Golda Meir phrased it once, after the Holocaust, the Jews have the right to do whatever they want. Fair enough. This enabled us to continue with the occupation. And finally, it is the process of dehumanization and demonization of the Palestinians, which serves so well the denial. Because if they are not human beings like us, if they don't like their children like we do, if they don't care so much about death and life, if they are so cruel as we are being told, if they are so barbarian and brutal, if they can do those horrible things, then there's not such a problem in occupying them. Then it is even justified. Then it shouldn't bother us. There's no moral problem because it's not about human rights. They are not human beings, so how can we speak about human rights? We are dealing with, you know, you know those Muslims. You have them here. Those barbarians who don't like their children, who don't love them. Ask any Israeli if the Palestinians love their children like the Israelis love their children. And you'll get a lecture. And what I saw in the last 35, 40 years of parents devoted for their children, I will never see in any other people what Palestinian fathers and mothers are doing to protect their children, to educate their children in unbelievable conditions, unbelievable conditions. People who really devote their life. The father of Maria. Maria was a seven-year-old child in Gaza when her father bought a second-hand car and they went to the first ride, the whole family. Maya was sitting on the laps of her grandmother in the back seat, singing a song. 
the whole family was such a good spirit. They were all in this old Peugeot because it was the first time they had a car. And the missile hit the car in Gaza, in the main street of Gaza. You know, Israel is never aiming at civilian uh, targets. And almost the whole family was killed. The only rescues were, what's the name of the father, Katrin? Hamdi. Hamdi, the father, was injured. His little son, he was three then, was saved alive. And Maria was dying. She was in the hospital. She, she was totally paralyzed. She was not conscious. It was very clear that she has no chance. And then this devoted father, Hamdi, decided that he is going to dedicate his life only for one purpose, to save Maria. And we helped him in a very rare and unbelievable way. We helped him to transfer Maria to an Israeli hospital. And Maria is now 18, paralyzed from here down, but does everything. She's a miracle. She has this all kind of electronic devices. She paints with a mouse. She operates her wheelchair with her uh, chin. She's an amazing. She's pretty. She's fantastic. And this father, Hamdi, now 18 years, so how much it is, he's working her day and night. He doesn't do anything else except of taking care of Maria, this miracle girl, and she's so intelligent, and she speaks Hebrew and Arabic, and I, I can't describe you what does it mean to see her, to meet her, to see her paintings, what paintings she paints now with her mouse. And then the Israelis will tell you that the Palestinians don't love their children. But it's not only, obviously, about pity or mercy, because we are dealing with a very political issue. And what is the main uh, uh, topic that I was asked to speak about was obviously the Israeli society, and this is what I'm trying to do. But the secret is, how come that we live so many years with those sins, with those crimes, one hour away from our homes? I guess all of you know that we are not dealing with Guantanamo, far away. We are dealing with the immediate backyard. How can it be that the Israeli society continues to live in peace? Not only to live in peace, to live in this self-content. You don't know how proud Israelis are in their country, in their democracy. I mean, there is one enemy, Netanyahu, who tries to destroy the famous Israeli democracy. But except of him, we are all such Democrats. Such spirit of freedom, equality, every slogan. We, we, we are the lighthouse of the world. How come that so many Israelis, intelligent Israelis, believe in it? And here I claim that there are so many machineries which are recruited to make us not look at the truth, not look at a reality, to create ourselves an alternative reality which had nothing to do 
with the real life, with the real reality, half an hour away from our home, one hour away from our home. And as long as this will not change, nothing will change. Because as long as Israelis are not bothered by the occupation, don't pay any price for the occupation, and are not punished for the occupation, the occupation will stay there. Because there's no reason for the Israelis to do anything about it. What's wrong? And this secret, how a relatively normal society, I don't think Israelis are any worse than any other people in the world. They are for sure not better, but I don't see them much worse than others. But something enables them to stand behind those ongoing horrible crimes that none of them have even the idea what is being done on his behalf, on his name. Most of Israelis have no idea. Okay, they have their sons who are soldiers there. It's a small minority who serves there. And those who serve there are also so brainwashed that they don't speak out. And they don't tell their parents. But most of the Israelis just close their eyes. How is it possible? So there are a few answers. The first agent is obviously the Israeli media. The biggest collaborator with the occupation. And it is the biggest collaborator with the occupation, not because of ideology, only because of commercial reasons, which is much worse. No censorship, only self-censorship, which is much worse, because nobody would fight against it. And the Israeli media is covering the occupation, covering it up for decades systematically. It's quite a courageous media. They do investigations about prime ministers and presidents and ministers and very professional, very liberal, very free until it comes again to the Jewish supremacy, until it comes to covering the Israeli occupation. Then it's the biggest betrayal of any media in the world, any free media in the world, and for me, it's much worse if it is a free media because it is our free choice to mislead our viewers and, and readers. But the Israeli media enables all this by not reporting and by reporting in a very twisted way. It is always a senior in a Hamas who was assassinated you know, Hamas is a very special organization. They have only seniors. <laughs> Everyone is a senior in the Hamas. Once I found, and this is not a joke, they killed a child of seven in the second father, and they claimed he was senior in the Hamas. Seriously. They didn't bother about his age. But the Israeli media gives it its face, give, gives all the services to this machinery of the army, of the secret services, of the government to inform us in such a false way. The second main responsible for the denial is unfortunately the Israeli left. And I say it with a lot of pain because I come from there. I was brought up there. You know, nobody is perfect. So I worked four years with Shimon Peres. I really came from there, from the... From the Zionist left, as we call, call it. And the Zionist left is the real enemy of freedom, of fighting the occupation in Israel, much more than the right-wingers. First of all, they are the founding fathers. They are the founding fathers of the settlement project. 
Who started it? Netanyahu? Begin? Sharon? No, 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 no. Shimon Peres? Yitzhak Rabin? Peace, Nobel Peace Prize winners. Peacemakers. They are responsible, Shimon Peres is responsible for many more settlements than Benjamin Netanyahu. So they are the founding fathers, but that's not enough. They also enable us Israelis to feel so good about ourselves. Because they were always the laundry of any crime. And any crime went through this laundry, and we have this prestigious, world-famous Supreme Court, this really castle of, 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 of liberalism and open-mindedness and freedom, part of the Zionist left, most of, the, of, of this establishment is based on liberals and leftists. And this Supreme Court enabled any crime of war, from the settlements to the tortures, everything went through the Supreme Court and everything was, was washed there. And it was accepted. And if the, if the Supreme Court says that there are no torturing or the, the settlements are legal, so who are we to say or to think differently? So we owe a lot to the, so to the Israeli left, the Zionist left, which is the majority, almost all the Israeli left is Zionist, for maintaining this long period of crimes and occupation. Because if the left supports it, so maybe it's good, maybe it's okay, maybe it's not so bad. And the last mechanism, which always, which, all, which obviously should be maybe the first one, is the international community. And that's the reason why we are gathered here today. If it's not the international community, then the occupation wouldn't last for one day. Imagine yourself, Israel, being disconnected from SWIFT. I know it makes you laugh. But imagine yourself. Do you think that the occupation will last after it 10 hours or 20 hours? That's the only question. That's the only question. And again, the war in Ukraine might give ideas. I know it sounds quite far-fetched, but maybe it will give some ideas. Because unlikely with Russia, Israel is so much more fragile. And any pressure, and the Israeli people is not very devoted. They couldn't care less about the settlements. If they will have to pay a price for it, let's see what happens. I once wrote uh, an article under the title uh, that uh, Austrian, Austrian Airways will bring peace. Because it was in one, one of those operations in Gaza that Western Airlines stopped flying to Tel Aviv. And the first one was Austrian. And I guess if this would last more than one week, Israelis would freak out so much that after two weeks they would return even Tel Aviv to the Palestinians just... Let us fly again. This was before the pandemic. But the international community cannot break out of its responsibility. I don't want to put everything on the international community, but it for sure has the most immediate key to put an end to all this. Because Israel will not survive 
without the support of the international community. And when I speak about the international communities, obviously the West, and when I speak about the West, it's obviously this country. And therefore, people like me have so much hope in organizations like you, in people like you, in what's going on in the Democratic Party here. I hope it will last. I hope it will become something more meaningful and stronger, above all stronger. But this is a source of... I'm very encouraged by what happens in the campuses, students and others who start to see the truth and stand up. And questions are being asked, questions that were never asked before. Like, where does our tax money go exactly? And is Israel really the right place? Do we really want to continue to support this country out of all 200 states in the world? This is the state that needs our support in such crazy, crazy, crazy sums. Are we sure that that's the right use of our money? Those questions are being raised now. They were never being raised before. Maybe Ukraine and the sanctions over Russia will be another push to start to shake this ship, this very, very heavy ship, which insists to go only to one direction. And yes, we have to change direction. We fought for so many years for the two-state solution. It is the most reasonable solution. It is maybe the most justified, just solution. But the only problem is that this train left the station a long time ago. And we better realize it. Continuing to speak about the two-state solution plays exactly in the hands of the occupation. Let's speak about the two-state solution. We have a solution. It's now on the shelf, and one day we'll take it. But we have the solution. It's here. No, no, it's not there. We'll make another peace process. America will say it's in favor of the two-state solution. Even Netanyahu would repeat that he is for the two-state solution. And then we'll go to an for another 50 years of occupation. We have the solution. It's here. But not now. Why not now? Because, you know, the security needs of Israel. Because Israel, it's not proper now for Israel to make changes. Maybe one day, not now. When? We'll see. So this masquerade also must come to its end. There is no two-state solution. With 700,000 settlers, let's face it, and let's be courageous enough to admit that nobody is going to evacuate 700,000 settlers. And without their evacuation, there is no viable Palestinian state. It can be all kind of other creatures, as Netanyahu called it, a state minus. Let's see Israel as a state minus. But it's even not a state what they offer, and it's even not a state what can be achieved when you have 700,000 settlers, most of them violent, aggressive, very bad neighbors, and above all, not the real owners of the land. So we have to realize with all the pain, because admitting that a two-state solution is not viable anymore is, has many consequences. First consequence, obviously, is end of Zionism. 
And for Israelis, this will be a very painful process because Zionism is the real religion of Israel. The army is our God and Zionism is our religion. And it will be very, very hard, if possible at all, to separate from this ideology, which is much more than ideology. You can't be in Israel a non-Zionist. You can't be. Then you, you are not with us. I mean, if you are not Zionist, I'm not sure, maybe only in Soviet Russia, there was one ideology which was allowed and no other ideology was allowed. In Israel, that's the case. You can't be not Zionist. I mean, nobody will put you in jail right now, but go away. If you are not a Zionist, you are a traitor. But we have to separate from Zionism because we face a problem which we never thought about it. It's not one people in this land. There are two peoples. I mean, for many years, Israelis didn't see it. It was a land without people who arrived to a... It was a people without a land who arrived to a land without a people. But they are there. What can we do? And they have equal rights. What can we do? And they, they, they deserve equal rights. Exactly the same. And the only solution to put an end to it will be one person, one vote, one state, one democratic state. We have to separate from the idea of... We have to separate from the idea of a Jewish state. You can't have it all, dear Israelis. You have to decide. You want a Jewish state? Be my guest. Not that I know what does it mean, a Jewish state. Is America an American state? Is it a Christian state? It is a democracy. Or it is called a democracy. And it is. In many ways, it is. Is Israel a, a Jewish state? I don't know what it means. But in any case, you can't have it all. You want a Jewish state? Great. Evacuate all the occupied territories, and you'll have a very clear Jewish majority, and then you can talk about the Jewish state. But this is not what Israelis want. They want both. They want to eat the cake and to keep it complete. And it doesn't work. And there is someone to tell, there must be someone to tell Israel, make the choice. Okay, you exclude the Palestinians. You don't count them. But you, you, what do you want? You have to choose. And the world has to come to Israel and ask, you want a Jewish state or you want a democracy? You can't have it both. Impossible. And draw the conclusion. But there's no one to tell Israel. Because all those billions of dollars which the United States is sending to Israel are not enough for the United States to put some kind of conditions. I think I said it here in the past and I repeat it here again. In many ways, when you look at the relationship between the United States and Israel, you can hardly tell who is the superpower between the two. We had now this scandal with the submarines. We will not get into it. Some corruption, not very clear how deep it is. But it was about German submarines supplied to Israel. And one of the aspects of this scandal was that Netanyahu gave Germany the permission to sell submarines to Egypt. It's a big scandal in Israel. How dare him? And I'm asking here, why does Germany need the permission of Israel to sell 
German submarines to Egypt, which has a peace treaty with Israel. It's even not an enemy. We have a peace treaty with Egypt. Where from does it come that Germany is asking for permission? Where from does it come that the United States asks for permission for so many things? Where from does it come that the United States cannot speak out, cannot criticize Israel? Because Israel found the secret. If you criticize me, you are an anti-Semite. And that's the whole secret. And it's your responsibility not to get paralyzed by this. And in the United States, for sure, but also in Europe and even in Germany. Germany carries also responsibility to the Palestinians. Israel would never have been established without the Holocaust. They carry an indirect responsibility also toward them. But here again, things that you cannot explain, you cannot understand. How come that Israel, which gets so much from the United States, is still dictating the United States? That an Israeli prime minister can come to the Congress and speak against an elected popular president and 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 everything is fine and this president supplies Israel with more weapons than any other president before him after this intervention how what is the secret but that's really about you to find out because I'm not American you should do the work but it must come to a certain end and the last word will be about the sanctions Again, sanctions are in the air. Russia is suffering enormous sanctions. I'm, I'm not an economy uh, expert, but I understand those sanctions, if they will be implemented and implemented over time, they can destroy Russia. Why, why can't we even discuss sanctions over Israel? You know, it's never been discussed even. It's, it's almost discussing this is by itself criminal in most of the countries. We cannot even discuss it. We cannot even speak about what will be the advantages and the disadvantages. Is it clever? Is it legal? Is it moral? We can't even discuss it. Sanctions and Israel are two different entities which are never mentioned. Like, by the way, Palestinians and security. Have you ever heard someone speaking about the security for the Palestinians? Ever someone mentioned it? Security for the, even the Palestinians don't speak about security. Because they know this is exclusively Jewish. Security can go only with Israel. Can never go with any other people, for sure not the Palestinians. Because they are so secure. We see how they have been slaughtered on a daily basis without any protection, but really no protection at all. So sanctions must come into the discourse, into the international discourse. I don't think it will happen in one day. I don't think it will be accepted by all the countries. Germany for sure will never go for it, or I guess it will not go. Europe has problems with it, but something must start. Why is it moral to boycott the sweatshops in Southeast Asia and not to buy their products? 
it's everyone's choice, but those who take this measure, nobody will say that they are not moral or committing a crime. It's a very moral position. You don't want to support something which in your values is not moral. Why is it immoral to boycott butcheries? I stand for animals' rights, and I don't want to to, uh, consume the products of the most cruel industry on earth. Is it not moral? Is it criminal? Sure, it's moral and criminal. You can, you can say it, you can fight for it, you can struggle for it. Immoral regimes, you don't want to buy the project. project. What does this have to do with crimes, with laws, and with anti-Semitism? Why can't I say, as long as Israel is perceived by me as an immoral place which totally ignores all the resolutions of the international community, I don't, wanna, don't want to buy any of their products. What is wrong about it? It became wrong. The West, under, again, all kinds of Israeli manipulations, bought the trick, fall into the trap, and the world is criminalizing any kind of, very soon maybe I will not be able to say it even here, to call for boycott or to call for support the BDS, which is right now the only game in town. Let's, let's be honest. It's the only game in town. It's not yet very influential because it still is a beginning, but right now it's the only game in town. I can ensure you one thing, that if the world will decide, and above all this country, the day that there will be an American administration or a very, very well-aware and moral civil society in the United States, which will decide that the occupation must come to its end, either through the two-state solution, which is not possible in my view, or by giving full rights, national and personal, full equal rights, to all the people who live between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean, because we are today living there together. The only thing that we should struggle now for, the only thing we should fight for, for my view, is to fight for democracy between the river and the Mediterranean. Let's leave the the struggle over the settlements. I do it with a lot of pain, but it's a lost case. They won. Let's put aside all the rest and let's concentrate in one thing, democracy. It is so simple, so basic. And democracy means equality. There is no democracy for part of a country or for part of its people, like there is, unfortunately, no half-pregnancy. Either we are democratic or we are not, and we are not, and the world has to raise his voice. This should be, in my view, again, I'm ready to argue it, we should concentrate from now on on this. Israel, either you are a democracy, and then your name is not only Israel, obviously, and then you will be part of us, the West, or you are not a democracy, and then the consequences must be very, very clear, like the world does here and there when it's convenient to the world with other countries. Let's hope that one day... Maybe not our times, but we have to start somewhere. Let's hope that one day it will be real, a democracy. It is possible. 
don't buy those who will tell you that it's impossible. I know so, I mean, I'm visiting Palestinian homes now for over 30 years, 35 years, on a weekly basis, many times on a daily basis. I know the grassroots. I'm not talking to politicians. The Palestinian people is willing to live with the Israelis under a basic of equality and dignity, obviously. Israelis less. Israelis much less. The problem will be with Israel, not with Palestine. But we have to start somewhere. And if we don't start, we will not call the bluff. And the bluff is that Israel is a democracy. Thank you very much. have uh, we're a little over time but we're going to take five minutes or ten minutes for a huge stack of questions there are a lot of questions yes actually um, you talked a lot uh, about um, what uh, Israelis have to face uh, in the current situation uh, in Israel-Palestine and yet Israel is pouring a lot of money into the United States to fight against um, some of the efforts that are going on here. Has there been any public discussion about um, the three apartheid reports that were released, or what, what is it that, that Israel is afraid of um, happening here in the United States that they're pouring so much money into the lobby effort? They are afraid, and they are rightly afraid, because once the bluff will be called then everything might collapse. And the two reports, the three reports already about apartheid were hardly mentioned in Israel, in Israeli media. Only Haaretz really covered it as it should be. You know, those are anti-Semitic organizations. Every Israeli knows that Amnesty is famous for its anti-Semitic positions. And by this, you kill the reports because... There's this expression in Hebrew, the whole world is against us. That's the way that Israelis think. The whole world is just against us. Everyone is anti-Semite. And if this is the case, we shouldn't bother. Because in any case, the world is against us. And then you say, remember the Oslo times where the world hugged Israel. And it was pride to be an Israeli. No, 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 no. This was nothing. And then you ask, but the world is financing Israel and supporting Israel in the UN, everywhere. No, 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 the world is against us. So if it's against us, so we have no problem with the world, or we have such a problem that we can't do anything about it, and those reports were totally covered up and didn't create any discussion except of Haaretz. And the money that Israel, I don't think it's so much the money. It is more the talents. I mean, Israel learned how to paralyze the West. And they are doing it, we must admit, in a very efficient way. In Europe and here. They are very, very sophisticated. It's not a question of money. I don't think it's, I mean, it's also money, but it's not money, the point. The point is how efficient it is. And the fact is that it paralyzes us. So do you think um, organizations like J Street... Um 
help to. I'm oh, sorry. Do you think that organizations like J Street help to push uh, the conversation or put pressure on the state of Israel, or are they just harming um, or, or helping, helping or harming um, human rights issues and efforts in Palestine and Israel? I, I'm much more comfortable to talk about the brothers of uh, J Street in Israel, namely the Zionist left. And you heard what I think about the Zionist left. On one hand, about, uh, about J Street, on one hand, maybe it's better than nothing. Maybe it is one step forward and then will come another. For sure, it's not enough, obviously. They are far. I mean, as, as long as you are Zionist, you cannot really go far than this. You have to separate from Zionism, no other way. And they are far from doing this. So is it misleading like the Zionist left or is it a step forward, it's more for you to judge. I, I, I don't want, not that I, I don't have an opinion because I know too little. Okay, one more question and then we'll let you go. By now everyone knows everything, so there are no questions. <laughs> everything is clear. <laughs> yeah, there was an interesting question. Um, I'm getting there. I have to read it first. <laughs> um, there was an interesting question um, about you were talking a lot about the fact that, that Israelis can just ignore what's happening in the West Bank and Gaza. Um, and so they don't think about it. It's not front of mind. They don't really, don't really mind. There are two things. One, why was um, Israel so slow to say anything about Russia and Ukraine? And then the other, the other part of it is, you know, looking at the, the media coverage of what's happening in Ukraine, the hypocrisy is not lost on anyone um, with, you know, people being cheered and taught how to make Molotov cocktails while in Palestine, the same kind of things, you know, um, are acts of terrorism, not of heroism. And King, uh, King Hussein once said that sometimes it takes, um, it takes an explosion to block a logjam. If Israelis are ignoring what's happening in West Bank, Gaza, and not making the equivalence or the, the hypocrisy of, of the stands, um, what, what is possible going forward? Should there be some kind of a, a strategy um, on the, for the United States, for activists in this room, um, for us to stand up and say, good morning, I mean, you know, um, what should be the strategy now? Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the first question, Israel was slow with Russia, with Russia because Israel was scared of Russia. Uh, and and, and the, the, the unbelievable uh, phenomena is that Israel was not scared from the United States, who supplies Israel, and it was scared from Russia, who just let Israel bomb Syria. We don't need anything more, but bombing Syria, all the rest we are okay with Syria, with Russia, we don't need anything from Russia. We don't get our gas from Russia, we don't get any money from Russia, the Jews are well there, we also don't care so much, uh, much less than we declare we care and we shouldn't care too much. Anyone who wants to come came already and those who stay, they stay. But in any case, we are scared of Russia and we are not scared of the United States. This is the pure truth, again, which was exposed really in a most naked way in this conflict, that Israel cares more about Russia than about the United States. Israel feels that the United States is in its pockets. And in many ways it's true. In many ways it's true. 
Time will show it, if this will change. But right now, I totally understand the Israeli decision maker ignoring American requests. So maximum America will deny us, uh, 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 condemn us. We can live with it. Now, uh, what should be the strategy? I'm not here, really. You know more about strategy, especially in this country, what will be effective and what not. I try to, to suggest two things. One is to concentrate on one concept. And I think we should change the discourse and start to speak about democracy between the river and the sea. Equal rights. We don't ask nothing. We ask exactly what we asked from South Africa. And we are going to use the same means that we used in South Africa. Because we are totally convinced that there is no difference. I mean, there are differences, but finally it's the same regime and we did something about South Africa, we want to do the same now here. So focusing on the one-state solution, I think, can be very fruitful because it offers also some kind of vision and some kind of hope. It's not just condemning and saying the, the occupation is brutal and the Palestinians are suffering. This doesn't lead us to anywhere. We are trying it for 50 years. It didn't touch too many people. The, the Palestinians suffered didn't touch too many people, unfortunately, and the suffering... I'm the first one to know this suffer, but none of us can imagine ourselves. What does it mean to live under these Israeli iron boots? Yeah, nobody of us can even imagine what does it mean to be a young person or an old person under the occupation in routine times. And the second thing that we should understand that it will not go through niceties. The world is trying, or the West is trying with niceties with Israel over 50 years now. To be careful with Israel, to understand the sentiments, to understand the needs, to understand the traumas, to understand the heritage. All the time, just this soft attitude of how will we try to convince Israel with niceties with offering carrots and more carrots and do this and we will do this and no. We tried it. It didn't lead us to anywhere. The only way to make it happen is by punishing Israel. There is no other way. It's not that I'm in favor of it. There is no other way. Thank you so much. You were so kind. Thank you.